0: Welcome to the Audacity Church Podcast. We pray that you are blessed by what you hear today. We love to hear stories of what God is doing in people's lives. Take some time to share your story of how God is working in your life and email us at amen at loveservego.com. Now prepare your heart to hear from God today. And as he was setting out on his journey, a man ran up and knelt before him and asked God, good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus said to him, Why do you call me good? No one is good except God alone. You know the commandments do not murder, do not commit adultery, do not steal, do not bear false witness, do not be do not defraud. Honor your father and mother. And he said to them, Teacher, all these things I have kept from my youth. And Jesus looked at him, loved him, and said to him, You lack one thing. Go, sell all that you have, and give to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven. And come, follow me. Disheartened by the saying, he went away sorrowful, for he had great possessions. And Jesus looked around and said to his disciples, How difficult will it be for those who have wealth to enter the kingdom of God? And the disciples were amazed at his words, but Jesus said to them again, Children, how difficult is it to enter into the kingdom of God? It is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich person to enter the kingdom of God. And they were exceedingly astonished and said to him, Then who can be saved? Jesus looked at them and said, With man it is impossible, but with God, for all things are possible.
1: Uh, I found out last week we can put a chair up here, and we can do like the sit-down version of a sermon, and so that is solid, because uh, my youngest was up last night puking, and uh, whereas I mainly laid in bed uh, and thought positive thoughts from my wife, uh, I still did love and support. I did. I still had to make a few trips up and down stairs uh, to put things in the laundry and retrieve things and whatnot, so um, don't buy a two-story house. That's the most. That's the moral of that. Um, I want to thank you guys for coming out. Uh, Jeremy's kind of a... Uh, we haven't actually given him this title. I think he should take it Jack of All Trades Pastor. Uh, because not only does he teach kids and set up the check-in desk and lead worship, I'm sure there's other stuff he does that he just doesn't talk about. Um, so anyway, we'll just kind of kind of go forward. Uh series foundation reminder... Uh, We talked about, previously, um, Idol Factory, Elephant in the Room. Week two was Idolatry, Pleasure, Sex, Lies, and Videotapes, as we called it. Um, This week is the Money Pit. I used to own a Money Pit. It was a house. It was built in 1939. It cost me a lot of money to do stuff to so I could get out of it. Uh, Tyson can testify to a small amount of that because he did some of that work. So... um, Old houses are great, except that they're falling apart. Um, but they have a lot of character, which is how you sell them, is uh, what I'm told. Um, I know it sold me. Uh, yeah, well, I don't know. It's, I know I was happy to get rid of it. So, uh, series foundation reminder. Like I said, we've um, got a few quotes here from some famous guys. Um, Frederick Nietzsche, Nietzsche, excuse me. There are more idols in the world than there are realities. Uh, A pastor named Kyle Eidelman, uh, who also has a couple books out, said, what if we do our kneeling and our bowing with our imaginations, our checkbooks, our search engines, or our calendars? The way I think about that is if I open up your browser, I mean, I can tell kind of what you're interested in. You know, if you open up mine, you probably find uh, snowblowers and a whole lot of ESPN. So, um It's uh, it's no different for me than anybody else, but you can definitely figure out what my time is um, spent on doing when I'm on the internet, right? And um, Dr. Tim Keller says, whatever you look at and say in your heart of hearts, if I have that, then I'll feel my life has meaning. I'll know I have value. Then I'll feel significant and secure. So who feels like that about money? I know I do. Man, if I had a chunk of change, I know I'm going to be good, and I know I can weather the storm, as it were, right? You know, you got that savings account. Um, before Letterman at his top ten, Moses put out ten, Exodus 23, you shall have no other gods before me, right? That's kind of like the uh, the backbone of the series. Um, so I think uh, Ronnie hashtag the money pit on Facebook, I hope so, because he put it in my notes. Uh, Don't be a slave to money, become its master, we're all serving something. We are created to worship, so something has to be at the center of your life. Many philosophers predicted, as the absence of God would continue in the West, man would replace God with money. Um, I don't think that's just a Western thing. Uh, I just think we're the best at it. So, um, you know, there's something to be said about being perfect at something or is better, better than anybody else. I don't know that's the thing you want to be really good at. A relatively easy transition when you think about how money makes the world go around. You need it to eat, you need it to travel, you need it to live, you need it to have housing. Um, we believe it can rescue us from our current circumstances. We see money as our protector, um, like I said, as our security blanket. If you take a real look at how our society measures success, it's how much you make. If I look at somebody's title, that's pretty neat. Um, but not all CEOs are the same. A CEO of a Fortune 500 company might be a little bit different than a CEO of a company that has 100 people in it. And so how do we, how do we like to measure that? We like to measure that with salary, right? We like to compare salaries. That's kind of how we look at success. Um, two problems with money. One is the comparison game. Two is the issue of the heart. Um, comparison game. We like to compare ourselves with other people. Uh, The problem we have when we do this uh, is we look at somebody else and say, man, they make quite a bit of money. I'd love to have that kind of money. I wish I was them. What we don't see is everything they've had to deal with, either to get where they're at or everything they deal with now. Just because you think they have money or it looks like they have money or even you know they have money uh, doesn't mean that they don't have, one, don't have problems, and two, haven't possibly paid quite a price to get there. So to think that if you had their salary or their life you would be happy, is, um, is definitely glazing over uh, some of the pain that they've had to deal with in their lives. So nobody's life is perfect. Uh, Dr. Tim Keller says, greed is especially hard to see in ourselves. A great quote I heard from somebody that I can't remember uh, said this, how much, how much land is enough for you, and it's whatever land is touching my land is enough for me. And the, so, in essence, never enough, Right. Uh, And I think that's a great definition of greed, is I want everything I don't have, essentially. Tim Keller also said, Nowhere is slavery more evident than in the blindness of greedy people to their own materialism. So, are you a slave to money? Essentially, is. And we'll speak to this verse later, but God says you can't serve two masters. We're always comparing ourselves with others. People who went to the same school, people in a class. Uh, We look at folks in our neighborhood, social media, etc., how did they, what are they doing, how are they doing, you know, maybe somebody you grew up with in the neighborhood and they made it, and you think, "Geez, I wish I was that guy. So issue of the heart. Money was a common theme in the teaching of Jesus. Uh, of his 38 recorded parables, 16 deal with the subject of money, almost half. In the middle of his famous Sermon on the Mount, uh, Matthew 6:19 19-24, he says, be devoted to one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and money. And everybody always likes to take this kind of out of context, like you can't use money or you can't have money. It's not that you can't use money. It's not that you can't have money. It's that you can't serve money. You can't put money in a higher place than God. So uh, who do you trust? Do you trust money? Do you trust yourself to have money? Or do you trust God to provide for you? let um, Basically, how it breaks down issue of the heart. There's a study at Princeton University, uh, somewhere over on the East Coast, I guess. I'm not sure. I think it's some sort of famous school. Uh, the income level of people in relationship to their happiness was not a factor. What does that mean? If I make 20 grand, I'm not any less happy than if I make 50 grand or 100 grand. The majority of people felt as though they could double their income, that would lead to happiness. So if you made 25, You'd be happy if you made 50. That was your mindset. If you made 50, you'd be happy if you had 100. If you had 100, you wouldn't be happy till you had 200. So what it is is everybody's lifestyle catches up to their earnings. Uh, and they project out, well, if I only had this much more, if I only had this much more, if I only had this much more, and they keep chasing and chasing and chasing. Uh, never happy. Never happy. The conclusion of the research is a belief that high income associated with good mood is widespread but mostly illusory. That was like a Ronnie pronunciation on that bad boy. So um, what does that mean? It's basically everybody thinks that uh, if they have money, they'll feel good. And study after study after study says that's not the truth. That's not the case. You can have money, uh, but it ain't going to help. Kyle Eidemann says, The God of money wants us to believe that our significance comes from what we make of ourselves. Idolaters are a lot like addicts; they give something status and control over them. They love money, they trust it, and they even go far go so far as to obey it. There's a dude back in the eighteen hundreds uh he was a pastor he ran some orphanages. His name was george Mueller um There's a great veggie tales uh cartoon about him uh so if you ever want to see uh what faith looks like in relation to money. I suggest you go find the Veggie Tales story. I'm not going to touch on that one, although it's spectacular. <laughs> and uh, George, George says, It ill becomes the servant to seek to be rich and great and honored in what world where the, his Lord was poor and mean and despised. Not mean angry, mean like have nothing. So um, he asks, why, why do you want to be rich when Jesus was not? If your goal is to be like your Savior, um, Why do you want to have money when he did not? He wrote frequently, George did, about uh, stewardship money, non-reliance on earthly riches. And this is not in your notes. This is just like bonus material I wrote in here the other night because I thought it was awesome. Um, And we'll find actually there's a couple of guys who've done this, and I think they're crazy, um, but they're pretty cool. So what he did is uh, he felt he would give away anything he didn't need to live on. So his personal income... Uh, from unsolicited gifts. He refused salary from his church. He refused to ask people for money. People just gave him money. He trusted God that people would give him money. So his salary uh, rose from 151 pounds back in 1831. I don't know how much that even is with inflation and everything these days. But anyway, uh, to more than 2000 in 1870. So, you know, his income... uh, Increased by, like, what, 15 times. However, he retained only about 300 pounds a year for himself and his family, and the rest he gave away. So the dude gave away, um, gee, 1,700 pounds. So that's, that's a generous dude. Uh, that's a guy who doesn't love money. Um, in his orphanages, he had one. He started with one. He wanted a house for the kids. Once again, never asked for money. Um, God bless him with 100,000 pounds built three houses, uh, one for boys and one for girls and then one for older kids. So just because man doesn't know what you mean, need doesn't mean God doesn't know what you need. So our only hope, three lessons from the rich young ruler. Um, we're going to look at the one in Mark, and there's a reason I'm going to kind of foreshadow a little bit here. Um, Mark has a couple extra words in his version of the rich young ruler. Versus the other gospels, there's some theory behind that and some church tradition, and we'll get in that here uh, toward the end. but Mark 10:20 20 through 21, and he said to him, "Teacher, all these I have kept from my youth, and Jesus, looking at him, loved him, and if you're taking notes, underline loved him, or if you're in the Bible app, highlight it maybe, and said to him, "You lack one thing. The rich young ruler was a good person. he'd be defined as great by the signs of the times. He kept all the commandments, and not only that, it was a sign of uh, blessing by God back then to be rich. So on top of, not only did he keep all the commandments, um, but he was looked at as very holy because he had money, and Jesus told him to give it up. So when you make an idol of your identity, it's almost impossible to part with. Since money is not one of the idols that is so hard to see in ourselves, we must be transformed by Jesus' gospel and allow him to deal with deep idols in our heart. Ronnie talked about this last week. you can't it's not enough just to uproot it. you have to plan it with something else. What do you put in its place? What do you put in that gap? Um, and the the person you put there is Jesus, obviously second corinthians eight eight through nine I say this not as a command, but to prove by the earnestness of others that your love also is genuine. for you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ that though he was rich, yet for your sake you became poor, so that by his poverty you might become rich. Second Peter. Laundry list of awesome verses. But you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession. So if you're a chosen race and a holy nation, you know you got some, you know you got some change. That you may proclaim the excellencies of him who are called out in darkness in the marvelous light. Once you were not a people, but now you are God's people. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. When Jesus is your salvation, he becomes your Lord. Your view of your resources dramatically change you can entrust your king with the money of his kingdom. Generosity. I'm going to take a small break because I left my water over here. It's kind of like halftime. Oh, that's better. (laughs) More money means less giving. And I know you're like, huh? That doesn't make any sense. Of course it doesn't make any sense. We're America. We don't make any sense. According to one average, uh, one study, and there's actually multiple, multiple studies that show this. It's not just one. Um, but for reference, you can find this particular one on philanthrop- philanthropy.com uh, and, and the study and where it was done and everything there. The average American gives away to charity 3% a year. So that's your average dude who gives away 3%. You think, like I said, if you made more money, you give more away. So if you're making twenty-five grand a year, you're giving away 4.2%. It's a little over a1,000 bucks. If you make 75 grand a year, your average is 2.7 percent, about two grand a year. So basically you triple your income, but you only double your giving dollars, your percentage goes down. So the more money you make, the stingier you get. Um, I think the good thing to take away from this is it's one of those things when you say in your heart, "If I only had more money, I'd give more." Uh, study after study shows that's not the case. Study after study shows that's not the case. Uh, it's cute if you guys think you're different. Uh, I know I'm not. i pretty much a skin flint, so I didn't give anything away. Uh, my wife taught me how to give, and um, it's kind of one of those things that's hard to get used to, but it's enjoyable when you do it, and to see people's lives change is amazing. Deuteronomy 14.23. The purpose of tithing is to teach you always to put God first in your life. One biblical response to the gospel and generosity you're giving. Everybody knows the story of Zacchaeus, I assume, the little wee little man in the tree. Right? Everybody sings it in Sunday school and we learn about this guy. Well, he was a tax collector. And tax collectors in Roman times like to take extra money and keep it for themselves. So, what did he do? He told Jesus, hey, I'm going to repay everybody threefold. I'm going to give them back four hundred percent. If I took a buck, I'm giving them four. If I took a hundred. You know, I'm giving him 400 back. What did the law require? The law required 120% restitution. Uh, So basically, if you took money, uh, you owed him 20% on top of what you took. He gave him back 300% on top of what he took. What did Zacchaeus do that for? He didn't ask how much should I give, how much must I give, but how much can I give. The generosity was outpouring from his heart. And he put Jesus first. Uh there's another story of a preacher guy back in the uh, 1700s. This dude was kind of cool. His name was John Wesley. He started the Methodist Church. What? Yeah. Well, I think he's kind of famous. Um if you're like a church historian. So old dude. Uh he was he had someone come to his door one time and uh, ask him for money and he or and he had nothing nothing he could give him. Um didn't have any money to spend all his money, so he made a deal with God. He says, uh, "I'll live on thirty pounds a year. That time, I'll live on thirty pounds a year, and I'll give away everything else. That'll be my living expenses." So, in the first year, uh, his income was thirty. He found he could live away, uh, live on twenty-eight, he gave away two. Not a big deal, less than ten percent. In the second year, his income doubled, but he held his expenses even. And so he lived on 28, gave away 32. In the third year, his income jumped to about 90 pounds, and he gave away 62. So he's now given away three times uh, what he lives on. Also three times his first year's uh, salary, basically, or twice his first year's salary. In his long life, uh, Wesley's income advanced to about 1,400 pounds a year, but he rarely let his expenses rise above 30. He said that he seldom had more than 100 pounds in his possession at any one time. And so, obviously, it's kind of like George, right? The dude didn't care about money, gave away money. Um, But how does this look to other people? This so baffled the English tax commissioners that they investigated him in 1776. You might know that year. Insisting that for a man of his income, he must have silver dishes he was not paying excise tax on. So they're like, dude, you have stuff. We know you do. Look how much money you make. And he wrote them back. I have two silver spoons in London and two at Bristol. It's all I have at present, and I shall not buy any more while so many around me need to eat bread. When he died in 1791 at the age of 87, the only money mentioned in his will was the coins found in his pocket and dresser. Most of the 30,000 pounds he had earned in his life had been given away. So the dude gave away some serious scratch. Serious scratch. A giving heart is a reflection of a heart given to Jesus. It's an outward sign of our love for him. So give it up, worry less. Trust, be more content. Uh, I've already given you a couple examples of some dudes that gave away a whole ton of money. Um, What does Matthew say? Therefore, do not be anxious, saying, what shall we eat or what shall we drink? Or what shall we wear? For the Gentiles, that's neat because that's me, seek after these things, and your heavenly Father knows you need them all. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added unto you. So what's he saying? Go for Jesus first and let him take care of it. Don't worry, Jesus has got it. He's the creator of the universe. He can find you a pair of clothes, pair of shoes, a couple bucks. There's, um, there's a few authors. Uh, Shane Claiborne is one I'm thinking of, modern-day guy. Um, he would be out with homeless people sharing the gospel. And oftentimes they wouldn't have anything to eat. And they'd fall asleep, wake up on the street, and there'd be a hot meal there sitting next to them. Don't know where it came from. But that's Jesus. So how does our rich young ruler turn out? Second Timothy 4, 9-11. Uh, do your best to come to me soon. Luke alone is with me. Get Mark and bring him with you, for he's very useful for me, to me for ministry. Why do I bring this up? Don't know if you remember the story of Mark. He was on a missionary journey with Barnabas and Paul. Ends up leaving. Uh, he gets in kind of a... Barnabas and Paul kind of getting a spat over Mark. Mark is redeemed by Barnabas, goes on a separate journey, missionary journey with Barnabas. Church tradition says that this young missionary, Mark, was one of the persons Paul wanted to see at the end of his life, that he was the same rich young ruler mentioned in Mark. Mark gives us one of three accounts. The other other two are Matthew and Luke. And this Mark is the only account where he adds the emotion of sorrow seen in verse 22. He's also the only one that adds the emotion of love that I had you under one line earlier. So Mark 22:27, Disheartened by the saying, he went away sorrowful, for he had great possessions. So what does Mark do? Mark, Mark adds a couple points. How would that gospel know how Mark felt? Because he wrote it. So church tradition tells us this. Uh, Jesus looked at him, verse 27, and said, With man is impossible, with God, for all things are possible. The idol of money may have a firm grip on your family, but the good news is there's hope. With God, all things are possible. Um, I didn't clear this kind of with Ronnie, uh, but I'm going to tell a story on him. But uh, the dude is, uh, he, he likes to be involved in church plants. Um, well, I don't know if he likes it so much, he just kind of does it. <laughs> so um, there was a time when he had his own lawn company, uh, and he was mowing. And um, him and his family had dinner that night. And his kids were hungry, but he had no food. He had no money, couldn't go to the store. So what happened? Him and Ashley sat down and prayed. And his neighbors showed up with bags of groceries to give to his family. So when I say, God knows what you need, I mean God knows what you need. I know it because I've seen it. I've seen it in my best friend. I don't want you guys to chase money because it doesn't get you anywhere. It just brings you sorrow and it brings you misery. But what I do know is Jesus brings you love, brings you family, um, and I know it brings you happiness. And it may not be happiness with money, um, but it's joy in your friends. It's joy in serving Him. And it's a relationship you never, can never find anywhere else. And so, uh, I'm going to move this bad boy out of the way. With that, I'd just kind of like to close in prayer. Um, and basically a challenge for everybody. And it's not a challenge I'm going to lay out like it has parameters. My only challenge to you is I'd like you to be in prayer with Jesus and see what he wants you to give. I'm not going to tell you what it is. He's going to tell you what it is. Make a deal with him. I know people have done it before. I know I've done it. Um, I can personally tell you that I made a deal with him, and I've seen my income increase by 40 50%. And I'm not saying you should do it to get your income up. But the more you trust God with your money, the more He's going to trust you with money. So, with that, let's pray.
0: Thank you for listening. If you'd like to get plugged into the Ministry of Audacity or support this ministry financially, you can get more information at.